The, the question came about wailing and gnashing of teeth. That, that does not represent going to hell. Uh, reason why I say things like that, because I don't want you to say anything stupid. Um, you know, there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That had everything to do with the wicked gnashing their teeth against the righteous. It makes them so fighting mad, but they're afraid to take a swing at you, so they just gnash their teeth. And so, as you just live for God, that you have no idea that we're, we're not sentencing people to hell, but sometimes when the righteous declares truth, the wicked will gnash their teeth. That's what that means. So, I've, the last 35 years, I've had a lot of, there's a lot of, dentures replacement here in this church and I understand because I say things that make you mad. But here, as I was told, here's the deal. As I was told a week or so ago, here's the deal that I made a statement about I can come through, you leave your Bibles in there and I can come through and find out what you underline and find out where you're at spiritually. But then as I was reminded last week that you need to not only study the things that you've underlined, but you really need to study the things that you have not underlined. That's my job. Because no matter what background you came from, Pentecost, Baptist, or whatever it may be, you have a lot of things and, and you're stuck on spiritual floors. And I'm going to get to that when I get through Revelation. You're stuck. You're saved, but you're stuck. You're either stuck in your Second Peter chapter 1, 5 through 7. You're stuck on one of these floors. And I'm trying to get you unstuck. Have you ever been in the elevator and stuck? It was the happiest day of your life, was it not? Oh, man. If you're stuck in an elevator with other people, you, you soon get to know them one way or the other. And I'm trying to get you unstuck. Whether it be eternal security. All right, we're saved. We can't lose it. Can we get on past that? How long are you going to be stuck on that platform? I mean, any chimp from Frank Buck Zoo ought to know that by now. Let's go on to maturity, he says. Let's go on to the full mastery of the, of the, the pipe work of God, and the artistry of God. So that's my job is to hand you pastels and so. So I'm, I'm going to address something that somebody said out of sheer ignorance, and we're going to address it. So it has everything to do with this scripture. We talked about it, but I'm, I'm going somewhere with it. So this is what I do for a living. I just, I charge you by the hour and I make a lot of money. By the hour. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, we're, we're going to go ahead and read this. And so behold, a certain lawyer stood up. Now this lawyer was someone that was a, he, he was a representative of the law. Of course, he knew the law. So he's, and a certain lawyer stood up and tempted Jesus and saying, Master, and it was a play of words because he wanted to portray something that he wasn't. Remember what Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and you don't do anything I ask you to do? You don't do anything I ask you to do. I told you one time, I had a lady come here for years, a few years, and she didn't live a very good life, but she'd always call me pastor. And I went down to the jailhouse because her son got thrown in jail. And she came out of there with a halter top and a pair of short shorts. She said, pastor. And I said, would you please come to me? I said, don't ever call me pastor again. And it shocked her and hurt her feelings. Has she been back? No. But I said, and she looked at me and she said, what's wrong? I said, you dress like that, you look like that, and you live like hell. I don't want anybody to think that you're associated with me. 
That's it. Now, I, I can tolerate a lot of things, but after about six, seven, eight years of just dumbness, listen, you know, some T-shirts, I'm, with, I'm not with him, you know, you know, stuff like that. So, so he did the same thing, did the same thing, Master Lord. He said, why do you call me Master? You don't do anything I ask you to do. So Larry stood up and tempted him and tempted him. He wanted to put him in a trap because he was surrounded by people and he's wanting Jesus to say the wrong thing because if you get him to say the wrong thing, it would bypass the cross and they would execute him quickly. So what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The Greek says, what else possibly could I do? Because I'm everything that God would ever want in a human being. What's it? If being raised in Assembly of God and Pentecostal, man, I was surrounded by those people. So the next verse says this. And so he said unto him, what is written in the law and how do you read it? So that's, that's, that's first of all, that what our first response be with any question anybody asks. What does the Bible say? I really don't care what you believe. I want to know what the Bible says. Somebody said, well, Jesus said it, I believe it, and so. It don't matter if you believe it or not. If he said it, it's so. So he, this is his response. What does the Bible say, and how do you interpret that? And so, this is what the man says. So he, the lawyer said, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And this is what Jesus said. And Jesus said unto him, you have answered right, do this and you will live. Okay. So there is no scripture together that says what the man said. <laughs> he quotes from two different scriptures. He quotes from Leviticus 19 and 18 and Deuteronomy 6 and 5. Deuteronomy 6 and 5 deals with love the Lord God with all your mind, whole soul and body and strength. And Leviticus 19 says through a plethora of things how to treat one another. And at the end of verse 18 it says, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's amazing that we live still in, in a society where people will take half scriptures. So Jesus said, well, if you'll do them, it's okay. Just, just do it. Somebody asked me one time, there's, there's about... 63 translations of the Bible, which is the best? I'll say, just live up to one of them. I don't care. Pick you one. Just live up to one of them. So then he asked him this thing is, then who is my neighbor? So I, I, want, to, I want to back up and, and talk to you just for a moment about this conversation. Because I, I don't want anybody not to be crystal clear of the platform that I'm going to talk to you about. How do I receive eternal life? And Jesus said, what does the scripture says, as far as you know? And the scripture says to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and body, and strength. And he says, correct. And then he takes another verse, and he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, well, you know what? That's, 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 that's a good thing. That's right. Just do that, and you'll be okay. You'll be okay with the first one, but do okay with the second one, because it's in the law. Let, let me show you something. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 and 34. I wasn't going to show this, but I am. This, this corresponds with, with the same conversation. One of the religious scholars came up, and this is the Message Bible, hearing lively exchanges of questions answering and seeing how sharp Jesus was in his answers. They're grilling him like a bad tuna sandwich. 
So Jesus, and in his answers, and, and he put in his question, which is the most important of all the commandments? So this religious scholar is asking Jesus, which of all the commandments is the most important? Listen to what he says. So Jesus said, and it is in the first importance is, listen, Israel, the Lord God is one. This is Deuteronomy 6. Keep going. Love the Lord God with all your passion and prayers, intelligence and energy. And here's the second. Love others as well as you love yourself. There is no other commandment that ranks with these. Keep going. And the religious scholar said, a wonderful answer, teacher, so lucid and accurate that God is one and there is no other. And loving him with all passion, intelligence, and energy, and loving others as well as you love yourself, why, that's better than all the offerings and sacrifices put together. And watch what the Lord says. And Jesus realized how insightful he was and said, you're almost there, right on the border of God's kingdom. And after that, no one else dared to ask him a question. This religious scholar kind of got it. Remember what David said? God said, told David, Psalms 51, I don't want any more bloody bullocks. I don't want none of this stuff. I just want your heart. You can have all the diseased cows you want. I don't want that. I, I'm, God said, I'm up to here with bloody bullocks. I'd like to have your heart. And Jesus said, you're on the right path, buddy. And so here's the deal. In the Ten Commandments, there is no love your neighbor as yourself. So he said, which is the greatest and most important commandment? So you're, you're, you're thinking the top 10. There's about 1,100 and something commandments that Moses got. I think 1188. He made several trips to mountain. But besides that, we take the top 10. And so he said, trying to trick him, which is the best commandment? Which is the most important commandment? It's trying to trip him up. It's kind of like saying this. Which grandchildren do you love the most? Well, that's a tough question. We love them all the same. Kind of, but anyway, you know what I mean. So he said, the first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Deuteronomy 6. Then he said, then Jesus goes, and the second one is to love your neighbors yourself. That's not even in the scripture, in the commandments. What does this have to do with? And here's the answer. In the Ten Commandments, the first four has everything to do with your relationship with God. The second one, the second six, has everything in relationship with other people. The Beatitudes, the first four is your relationship with God. The second four is your relationship with other people. Even though that in the Ten Commandments, there's no love your neighbor as yourself. The idea that what he gives is this. The greatest of all commandments is to love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then we have a moral obligation to love others. So now then, we'll begin loving others. Loving others. Did you know in the Greek language when it says love your others, when the guy's looking around, the actual lexicon Greek says this, to love others as you love yourself. Is that even possible? Don't answer that. Because if you get it wrong, lightning will come down and strike you and I might be involved somewhere. So don't answer that. And I know what we say. Oh, yeah, I love them like I do myself. Really now. So let me give you the great lexicon definition of loving others as you love yourself. Does anybody here work at least eight or 10 hour shifts? Raise your hand. Don't go to sleep on me. So the rest of you are all bums. What do y'all do? Does anybody here work? 
Thank you, Melissa. You're the, thank you for your tithing. I appreciate that. So loving others like you love yourself is this, working eight hours for yourself and then working eight hours for someone else. Does anybody here do that? Does anybody here? I mean, so now then we're, we're going to have to break down then what others that we're going to have to work for, for everybody. None of you here goes to work for eight hours and you're going to say, well, well, I work for my children. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a total stranger. He's in the midst of, of a thousand people. Then, then who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to give half of everything? Not only half, but I work eight hours to provide for me and my family. Now then, I'm going to go back to work, a second shift, and I'm just going to start handing money out to anybody who stands on the street corner. If you're that dumb, I live at 1026 Rockford Place. Just drop by and put in the mailbox. This has nothing to do with being beneficial to one another. If, you're, if we're going to get the words right, then let's get it right. You, if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, it means you will give them exactly what you are giving yourself. A total stranger. And I don't know about you, but I've been saved a long time, but I have not yet reached that ladder. That rung in the ladder. I'm good to help. I'm kind. I'm benevolent. And I'll give. But I'll tell you, I'm just not so much of working two shifts to provide for me and my family and to give it to a total stranger. So that's what this love your neighbor as you love yourself. So here's the story. You've heard it, but I'm going to I'm going to turn your world upside down like I normally do. So now then, let's get to the story that Jesus responds to this lawyer. We're going to read it. Luke 10, 31, 33. This is the King James. And by chance there came down, Jesus is telling a story. So he said, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? If I'm to love God with all my heart, mind, and soul, then who's my neighbor? Which one of these do I need to pay dividends to? I mean, who is my neighbor? And so now the Lord tells the story. So he said, he's telling a story about fallen mankind, but the man doesn't understand it, neither do some of us. So Jesus answered the guy and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Three things. He fell among thieves, stripped him of his raiment, and left him half dead. Three things. Who is my neighbor? He's about to explain who your neighbor is. Mr. Rogers never got it right. Somebody posted, Mr. Rogers knew nothing about my neighborhood. I'm telling you. Verse 31, thank you. And by chance there came down a certain priest by the way, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Damn work, walk on by. Verse 32, and likewise a Levite, when he, when he was at the place, he came and looked on him and passed on the other side. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was and he saw him, he had compassion on him. We're going to stop there. This is a story of the condition of man. He asked the question with sincerity, who is my neighbor? And what he's wanting Jesus to say is this. How about that guy right there? How about that woman right there? How about the guy in the wheelchair? How about the one on the crutch? That's my neighbor. He didn't do that. 
Jesus always gives answers in parabolic form to the fact of, to the fact of if there's no, there's no exact or precise answer to this. But by the time he gets through that, you're more confused than when he began. So he begins this story. The story is about fallen mankind. There was a man that left from Jerusalem to Jericho. Adam in the garden did these three things in the garden. In the garden, number one, he fell among thieves. Who was the thief? John 10 and 10. Satan. He is a thief that comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus is giving you a description of fallen mankind. He went from Jerusalem, the holy place of God, to Jericho, and he fell among thieves. The second thing that happened, that thief stripped him of his raiment. When Adam sinned, immediately he was stripped of his raiment. His power, his privileges, his position with God in the garden was now removed. So now then, we have a story of mankind that was made in the image of God. He was created by God. God touched him. The only thing that he touched, he breathed in him. He become a living soul, a living spirit. We know that his diet was the seeds of the, of the fruit and, 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 the, and the seeds and, and, the, and, the, and the animals ate the stalks and stems. And then after he sinned, we know his diet went to the same as the animals in Genesis 2. He lost that spirit man. God with retracted it. So when Adam fell, when he fell, the original thief and robber stripped him of his raiment and Adam was removed from the garden. He was removed from his place of authority, power, and privileges because there's a huge difference between being six inches in the garden and six inches out. You can still look in and you can still see it, but you're not living in that abundance. That's miserable. It's kind of like missing your airplane. I see it, but I'm just, I missed it. And the third thing he says, that he wounded him and left him half dead. So let's read the story. What does the Bible say? Genesis 2 and 17. God's giving him the lecture. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil... Do not eat of it because the day you eat of it, you will die. Genesis 2, 17. Did he eat of the tree of good and evil? It's not a trick question. Yes. Did he die that day? Half of him died. He didn't physically die. He died spiritually. So now then, Jesus is telling a story about mankind. Here's mankind. Here's where mankind is. Mankind had a relationship with God in Jerusalem, the holy city of God. He had a, he, it was in the garden. He, he had a wonderful relationship with God, but the thief entered in. And when the thief entered in, he wounded him. He stripped him of his raiment and he left him half dead. And when Adam was exiled from the garden, he was physically alive, but he was spiritually dead. Remember what Paul tells about the woman in 2 Timothy 1? 
says this, 2 Timothy 5, she is dead while she lives. Talk about a woman in the church. She's a lookalike. She doesn't have the spirit of God. So Paul addresses this. He says she's dead while she's lived. It means this. She's alive physically, but she doesn't have the life of God in her. And I can't believe none of y'all can pick that up, he says. So now then, he's telling you the condition of, of, of what's going on. So mankind, three things have happened. Mankind, he fell among thieves, which was Satan. The thief, Steve, the thief come to steal, to kill, and destroy. He was stripped of his raiment, power, positions, and, 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 and privileges, and we were left half dead. Now then, so now then, man has fallen, and here's the original commercial. I've fallen and I can't get up. But good news is help is on the way, I think. So here's mankind in the ditch. He cannot get up. So the good news is here comes the priest. The priest represents patriarchs. So the first thing when mankind is in the ditch, the good news is that help is on the way. So the first thing to come by was the priest. And the priest, by definition in the Hebrew, means patriarchs. The patriarchs represent good examples, God's ambassadors, God's representatives. Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. These are God's men. Great examples. They honored God. They obeyed God. They did everything kind of more than usual what God wanted them to do. And Abraham tried to give his wife away. But besides that little inconvenience, you know, just a small matter. But, but these were God's, I mean, and the Jews loved it. Our father Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they said that over and over. They were the patriarchs of, of righteousness and what God stood for. But when the best examples of God came upon fallen mankind, not only could he did not help him out, he could not get him out. If you are a sinner this morning, and I don't think you are, but if you're here this morning and you've never made a personal commitment to Christ, people that are unsaved, the best examples in the world, your grandpa, your grandmother, your mother and your dad, your uncle, your aunt, Billy Graham, all these guys, as great as they are, they still do not have the ability to forgive your fallen state of mankind. So he went on by. He couldn't help him. So the good news is there's other help coming. So the next thing happens, the, the Levite comes. Now this is in chronological order because between Abraham and the law is 430 years. So mankind had great examples of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Noah, and we still read about them, and, and they're great, but they could not help sinful mankind. Somebody said, well, I was, I was baptized. Big deal. I signed a church membership. So what? Who cares? That won't save you. Water baptism will not save you. Signing a church membership won't save you. There's only one thing that'll save you. That's the blood of Christ by faith applied to your life. Repentance. Don't forget about repentance. And so now then, 430 years later, here comes the Levite. Help 
Bigger help is on the way. The Levites represents what? The law. The law represents rules, regulations, restrictions. I refer to it as the gospel of no. <laughs> don't do that and don't do that and you can't do that and you can't do this and for God's sake, don't do that. The gospel of no will not save you. My grandpa and grandmother was great people. They were Pentecostal holders, but I'll tell you one thing. You know, you, you couldn't go fishing on Sunday. You couldn't watch TV on Sunday. You couldn't go do anything on Sunday. It was, you know, if it was fun, don't do it. I'm not making fun of them. That's just the way they believe. But I mean, I thought, my goodness, there's got to be more to life than this. It's the gospel of no. Remember what Paul says? Don't be drunk with wine and excess. Be filled with the Spirit. It's not enough to say don't be drunk. It's not enough to say, well, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Well, what can I do? Be filled with the Spirit. Accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Let the Spirit of God fill your life, and then you don't want the other stuff. So the law comes along, and the law says, got rules, regulations, says, blah, 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 and you're in the ditch, and you're pathetic, and you're a deadbeat, and you know, if, if you was good enough, you get out on your own. I can't help you, and the Levite walks right on by. You may know all the verses in the Bible, but that will not save you. You may know scripture. You may know the doctrine of election. You may know the doctrine of eternal security. You may know a lot of scripture. You may quote John 3, 16, John 17. All, you may know them all, but listen, those things by themselves do not have the power to save you. The letter of the law, Paul says, will kill you, but the spirit gives life. Well, the Levite, he, he couldn't get him out of the ditch either. So last but not least, we have the Samaritan. The Samaritan represents the despised one, the rejected one. Isaiah 53 and 3, he was despised and rejected. And for the last six weeks, we finished up last week about he was wounded. Who is the despised and rejected? We know that it's Jesus. Now, so some of you are going to say, well, what's the big deal about a Samaritan? I don't have time to tell you, but there were, there were 12 tribes and 10 were separated from the south and two from the north. And they all kind of had a church split. You know how that goes. People have church splits and, and they had church split over the carpet. And so one, two went north and 10 went south. And then they began to northern, began to marry into the Assyrians. And God said, don't marry the Assyrians or the Canaanites. And they did it. So they just broke fellowship with them. Now then the, these two tribes, they, they, got, they got strange wives. Not me. Not me. They only regarded the first five books of the Bible. The Samaritans, their father was Abraham, but they believed God and they loved God, but they only accepted the first five books. And the remainder past Deuteronomy, all the Psalms and the Poetry and the, and the prophets and the prophecy. They didn't accept it. So anything past the first five books, but they did believe in the Pentateuch, the first five books. And, and, and I'm going, I'm, I'm getting you somewhere. It's amazing even today that, that we have church people and church doctrine that we, we go so far, but then once we don't believe certain things, that we, then we just split. Once again, that maybe, maybe we need to take the time to sit back down in the classroom and, and give us some thought and consideration before we stomp off. Because where's that got you? 
you think education expensive, you ought to try ignorance. So the Samaritan represented, remember what I told you, Samaria was the capital. Up, and, and it was somewhere around Sulphur in Murray County. Jerusalem was somewhere in Marietta. Use your imagination. And what happens is that when they did their travel, excuse me, the travels from Galilee, which was north, and they had to go, if, let me back up. If Sulphur was Galilee, where Jesus was from, Capernaum, and Jerusalem was with Marietta, the easiest way would be go through Ardmore. But Ardmore was Samaria, and the Jews would not go through Carter County. They would go around it. Yeah, it makes sense, don't it? So they despised the Samaritan that believed the first five books of the Bible. And I, I want to tell you straight up, if, if you'll come back about revelations, if you'll come to this, then, then we're, we're going to disarm a whole lot of our, of, of, of our disagreements. Because what I'm telling you is that if we can agree on the first five books of what God has to say, that ought to be enough to knit us together. If we can agree to love God with our heart, mind, and soul, and we can agree to love one another, then I think that even though that we don't understand the rest of it, it still ought to be enough to keep us spiritually connected. We'll work out the other things. So this Samaritan, this Samaritan that was despised and rejected is Jesus. Say that with me. It is Jesus. Okay. So the Samaritan stops, gets him out of the ditch, applies oil and wine. Oil, the definition of oil and wine. Wine is an antiseptic that will kill all the germs from the wounding. And oil has the ability to remove the scars from the wounding. Now I want to say that. This is dealing with fallen mankind. I'm quitting in seven minutes. Go. Jesus removes the man out of the ditch, puts him on the beast, and we'll talk about that another day. But when he removes him out of the ditch, he does two things. He pours wine into the womb, which kills all the germs. And number two, he pours oil on it to heal the scars. I'm so glad when I got saved, the Bible says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you watch this. You would prosper and be in health, hugeno, hygiene, even as your soul is free from germs. Every prosperity preacher in the world will preach that to you, and I'm here to give you the clear definition of that verse. Beloved, object of God's love, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, hugeno, even as your spirit man is in health, hugeno, free from germs. If you're saved by the blood of Christ, there's not a germ in the world can, that can contaminate the blood of Jesus Christ. Not a one. I don't care what you face and what you do. His blood is more powerful than any sin. God's got more grace than you got sin. 
So they get hung on the prosperity. And that's not what he's talking about. He said, you're, when you get saved by the blood of Christ, your spirit man is free from ever being contaminated again in the sin sick condition that he was. Now you may pick up some sediments on the bottom of your feet and in the ends of your fingertips, but it has never ever contaminate your heart ever. It cannot. Amen. Cannot. Can you do stupid things? Absolutely. Can you act goofy? You're already goofy. But if I'm saved, I am saved. Now, after that, we have to work on our, our dexterity and, and, and our mannerisms. But there's no wickedness that can ever corrupt the blood of Jesus again. Amen. Period. It's over. And if you don't believe that, then you don't understand Christ. So the oil and the wine is poured. So I'm glad I got saved and I'm glad I'm free from ever receiving the sin sick germ again. And now then the scars of my sin are gone. You may witness somebody say, my goodness, did you know that I used to do this? You used to do that. And you go, you're kidding. No. Well, you don't look like it because not only did he forgive me, but he healed my scars. We don't have to go around like pagans cutting ourselves. So I'm just so glad to you this morning. Has anybody beside me been saved? I'm saved. I mean, I'm really saved. I didn't sign up for nothing. He called me from the foundation of the earth. He predestinated me to be conformed to the image of his son. No height nor death or any other creature can separate me from that calling. Period. Period. But not only am I saved. Now, was I always saved? Yeah, but I just, you know, it just took me a while to convert me. But the thing about it is, I'm free from the scars. You're free from the scars of death and divorce and destruction and all that stuff. You're free from it. You know, you, you look as, as fresh as a newborn child. Good deal. So here we go. Luke 10, 36. So it's a great story and everybody knows it. Is that the end of it? No. So here's the question. Pay attention. So Jesus said, now, which of these three thinkest thou was a neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? So here's two important questions you have to ask yourself about eternal life. Number one, who is him? Your whole life. So he says, who is my neighbor? And your whole life, you get this idea that the neighbor is the guy in the ditch. It's not. Who is my neighbor? And, and so the, 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 the lawyer said, I'm to love God with all my heart, mind and soul and body. And he said, you've said well. And he said, I'll just throw in another verse. Jesus said, bring it on. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. He said, you said, well, if you'll do that, you'll live. Who is my neighbor? And he tells this story. And so when I ask you, who's your neighbor? Anybody beside me love God with all your heart, mind, and soul? Amen. And then I'll tell you, love your neighbor yourself? Amen. Then who is your neighbor? Well, it's the guy on the street corner. Nope. It's the guy in the wheelchair. Nope. It's someone in need. Nada. 
Who's the guy in the ditch? So he says, who is him? That has fallen. And the answer is mankind. Mankind's in the ditch. Who could not get out of the ditch? Please say mankind. Only two questions you need to ask yourself. Who is him? And number two, who got him out of the ditch? Now go back and show verse 36. Now, let's say this together in English very slowly because some of you are from Long Grove. Which of these three was the neighbor to the man in the ditch? You only have to pick three. Here are your three options in Spanish. Who was the neighbor? Who was the neighbor? The neighbor was one of three. The neighbor was not the man in the ditch. The neighbor was one of three. It was either the priest. It was either the Levite. Or it was the Samaritan. And Jesus said, which of the three, go back and show the verse, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the one that fell among thieves? And the answer is Jesus. You got it right. You win the prize, eternal life. I'll see you there. Mankind fallen is not the neighbor. Mankind fallen in the ditch was the one that was stripped of his raiment, his power, his privileges, his authority, his rank. He was wounded, left half dead. He was spiritually left half dead. The patriarchs, the good examples couldn't help him. The law couldn't get him out. But Jesus was the only one that was a neighbor to the man among the thieves. So here's the question you didn't ask me. How can I have eternal life, Andrew? Number one, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And number two, love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Jesus. Because we live in a society that, that, that is not this crystal clear. And the reason why this is so important because there's a lot of movements that whether it be Islam or, or, or Buddhism or New Age, that they say they love God. And as long as we love God and we help humanity, that's all that is required. And ladies and gentlemen, that's not enough. 
because God so loved the world that he gave his neighbor to get us out of the ditch. So you'll never look at this scripture ever the same because he's not asking you if the neighbor was the guy in the ditch. He's not asking that. So he's basically telling the, the, the lawyer, you've got to love God with all of your heart, mind and soul, and you've got to learn to love me as you love yourself. And you're willing to surrender your life and your thoughts. And this is what I'll tell you, when you really get born again, that you'll work that second eight hour shift for everything for the cause of Christ. You'll give and you'll serve and you'll love and you'll preach and you'll minister and you'll do all these things because you love Jesus as you more than you love yourself. How do I get eternal life? Very easy. Love God. Love Jesus. Because Jesus is my neighbor. And if you'll do that, you'll have eternal life. Now the corresponding verses with this, remember what he said? He uses it. It's a different conversation with the other gospel. They're all synoptics. But Jesus said, oh, by the way, sell everything you got and follow me and walk off. And he said, I can't do that. Because he did not love Jesus as much as he loved himself. I'm not asking you to do anything crazy or stupid. I'm just here to clarify scripture. Mankind was in the ditch. Mankind could not get out. Romans 5 and 12 says, By the act of one man, sin into the world. By sin, death came. And sin was passed to all men. Death was passed to all men because of Adam. We were all in that same ditch. But my father and mother raised me good, but they couldn't help me. I learned a few scriptures in, in, in vacation Bible school, but it did me no good, I think, at the time. But there was only one that could get me out of a ditch. That's Christ. And not only did he get me out of the ditch, but he cleaned up my wounds and he healed me. He saved me, you know. I'm not going to go through any old story, but I really was demon possessed. I still think they hang around me a lot every once in a while. The night before Gail and I went to church and got saved, it took a butcher knife to my belly and my arm, laid her wide open just to get her to cry. Absolutely. Demon possessed. And it hurt. It hurt when I did it. I mean, I think I had pieces and parts hanging out that shouldn't hang out. But you know what? I think God had already told hell that the next morning, I'm going to change that boy's course of history. And he did. And I've been saved ever since. And I'm free from every germ that ever wanted to contaminate my heart again. And I'm free from the scars that would remind me of my shameful past. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is your only answer to salvation. That's it. So what are we going to do? We're going to love God. And then I'm going to learn to love my neighbor more than I love myself. And my neighbor is who? Jesus. Now you're going to say, well, what about them other people? Well, come around next week. We'll talk about that.
Father, this morning that we have an obligation as people of God, that we are saved by your grace, not of works. But this morning, I, I pray that you would bring us to, a, to an awakening resolve that, that we live in a world that absolutely has gone crazy. It's contaminated and infiltrated the church and its doctrines. It even sickens me that we have transgender churches now. And I apologize. I apologize for what the church has, has adopted into. I think Revelations, Father, too, is the seat of Satan and the synagogues has already set up shop. And as a son of God and a minister of God from a heart, we apologize. There's nothing that we can do to change that, but our heart is grieved that when, when people has made mockery of your words so bad, you require holiness from us. You commanded us to walk upright with integrity. You commanded us to put our hand over our mouth and, 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 and not to argue with you, but only obey your commandments. That's what you commanded us to do. But I pray in this small church, in this small setting, that we would continue to just be a simple light in a dark place. That we would be just a simple candlestick in a dark room that would just bear the glory of, of our Father. Thank you for sending my neighbor. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, that he was the only one that could get me out of a ditch. For 20 years that I lived my life in a ditch, angry and mean and hateful and demon-possessed, no words, no examples, no Bible verses could ever touch me until you sent your son to touch me. And we all share that same experience this morning. Thank you. So when we leave this place, let us be good students of your word to declare that Jesus is that neighbor and only he am I to love more than I love myself. And by doing so, that we inherit eternal life. And we're very thankful for it this morning, in Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, Amen. And if you have been pulled out of a ditch, saved by His grace, filled with His Spirit, cleaned up, washed up, and on your way to heaven, stand with me this morning. And let's give the Lord a praise offering this morning. Would you please? God is so good. You know, one of the parts that I left out, not only did he bring him into a place, but he set him to the end. You know, not only did God save you, but he brought you here. Did you know he brought you here? You know, I'm kind of the innkeeper. He brought you here. And he wanted me to continue to take good care of you and remind you that it was him. And I'm awful glad you're here. Very thankful for it. It's an old message, I guess, but it never grows old to me. It's the love of God and his son, Jesus. His blood shed with the forgiveness of my sins. And that's how I inherit eternal life.
no other gospel. Communion service, if you'll make your way, if you're visiting this morning, we celebrate communion every Sunday morning. It's a reminder. It, it is not the avenue of a relationship with Christ. It's a reminder of what he has done for us. His body was broken. His blood was poured out for us. It's a reminder. It's the very last thing he told us to do. That night he sat with his disciples that were in a crisis and and mentally, physically, and emotionally, they were about to be pushed over the edge in just a couple of hours. But he sat with his disciples and he took two common sacraments, unleavened bread and wine. And he said, for 1,500 years, your father celebrated Passover with the bread. As John 6 said, heaven poured out manna and the heavenly bread and your fathers did eat of it in their 40 years in the wilderness pilgrimage. But your fathers hungered, but he said, I am the bread of life. And if any man eat of me, he will never hunger again. And they took the bread. And then he lifted up the cup. It was the third cup that night of four, the cup of redemption. The Jews had four cups. And he said, for 1500 years of the first Passover, you celebrated the shedding of the lamb's blood and they would take the lamb's blood and they put it in the shape of a cross that night and the death angel Abaddon would pass over that home. And they saw the blood. And Jesus said, now then this blood represents my blood. I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, John 1, 29. And my Father will take my blood in, in the shape of a cross. And if any man eat of this bread and drink of this blood, the forgiveness of sins shall be granted to him. So this morning, once again, we have the opportunity, the reminder, it's the blood of Christ, it's the body of Christ. So here's our assignment this week. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And turn your attention towards Jesus. Forget about the guy on the street corner this week. Turn your focus on to Jesus. He is that neighbor. And he'll change your life. We give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.